Hello and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. This is a message given on Sunday morning, October 30th, 2022 by Tom Job from the book of Colossians. Well, Lee and I have been switching out. What I've been trying to do like in the last few months is um, every time it's my turn to just take one of the letters that like Paul the Apostle wrote in the New Testament, you know, like a big part of the New Testament is really letters that he wrote to different individuals and to um, communities of followers of Jesus. And just in one shot, say the letter to that he wrote to the Romans. What is it about? The letter that he wrote to the Corinthians, the first one, what is it about? And so, and just kind of do, doing that. So today I want to read you something out of the letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians. It says in chapter three, therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, and over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect harmony, and be thankful. And let the message of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach each other and admonish each other with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit singing to God with gratitude in your heart. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Help us, Lord, to understand this super important letter, probably more important in our time. I mean, I don't know. It just, it's just amazing how in different times, in different ways, the living scriptures become more, I don't know, more incisive in the world, the further we get from the time they were written, they're fresher and newer every day. Help us to understand it in Jesus' name, amen. So this is something that I have always tried to do is never, like almost never, like when I'm like when it's my turn to like share from the scriptures, I don't want to talk about the news, and I've tried to never do that, and I've tried to never let it. It's getting a little bit tougher than it used to be, but ne- you know, not let that be a part of it. But something happened one time, and I was like, no, I cannot not talk about this, and I stopped everything I was doing on Sunday morning and talked about it for four weeks in a row because it was on the front page of all the papers, and it was in 2003. And this movie came out, and I was, and it's all everybody was talking about. And it was called The Da Vinci Code, and I was like, no. And it was about, it was a movie about this, uh, this conspiracy theory that there were, like, that we have, like, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, but actually there were lots of Gospels written, and a lot of them were written by these people called Gnostics, and they had secret information that other people didn't have, and that all these different you know, kind of tellings of the time of Jesus on earth. They were all written 150, 200 years after everybody that had known Jesus was already dead. And that the ones that got picked and that made it into the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the conspiracy was that those were ones that had been written by people who made up a bunch of stories about Jesus that weren't actually true. And it was to suppress women and to give some dudes power that they wanted. And so I said, No. Okay, what? No, that is completely not true. Plus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the place they give of equality and elevation to women was unprecedented and revolutionary. And two, all scholars believe, Christians and non-Christians believe that the gospels that we have were written by people who either knew Jesus or knew people who knew Jesus, who lived in the time of Jesus. There are certain things that, like, there are certain things when in the 
in the gospels that we have that are just indications that these were people who were living then and who knew people. Like there's a certain place. Remember how Jesus fed, like, fed the 5,000? It's the only miracle that's in all four of the gospels. And only in the gospel of John does it say in chapter six, well, so Jesus said, where are we gonna get bread for all these people? I mean, he knew where he would get it. In the gospel of John, it says, he asked specifically Philip. Philip, where are we gonna get bread? In chapter 12 of John, it says, it said that Philip came from the city of Bethsaida. In the gospel of Luke is the only one that says this, that when Jesus fed the 5,000, they were in the city of Bethsaida. And that's why he asked Philip. And that's one of those things. You just can't make this up. So I was like, no, that is a conspiracy theory that is completely not true. Um, the only conspiracy theory I personally have ever fallen for myself was, um, it was one, it talked about this person. I think their headquarters were in like Finland and um, they were watching you all the time. Like it, he could see you when you were sleeping. Like he knew when you were awake and it was about controlling your behavior and you, and your emotions. You like, you better not cry. You better not pout because, and, and I later found out that people, there was a network of people who knew this wasn't true and they kept perpetuating it and network news outlets and the network news, they were also in on it. And the only thing I knew was I better be good for goodness sake, you know, so, but, um, but I think to me, I, th I feel like there's more of that than, you know, there's more kind of this conspiracy theory type of things in there than there ever used to be. There's more people that say we know something that, um, that you don't know. And I kind of understand why it's attractive to people because it's, it feels good to be like on the inside and have inside information that other people don't have. And I guess it's, you know, it's kind of innocuous if, as long as you're talking about like, is there really Nessie the monster in Scotland's Loch Ness? I mean, who really cares? But when it gets to be about like important things um, and people start to get in, believe them, um, one thing that it tends to do in people's mind is it tends, they tend to divide everyone into the good people and the bad people. And if you believe these things, it automatically puts you in the good people. And one thing that it does, I think when Christians get into it, they wind up kind of having animosity towards people that they consider their enemies now. When Jesus said, if you have any, you're supposed to love them. And people who are Christian wind up fighting people. And Jesus said, we're not supposed to be fighting people. We're supposed to be loving people. So, and Jesus said, like in Matthew chapter 24, when he was talking about the, the stretch that we're in to the end of the world, and he said, there's always going to be people claiming to be someone that they're not. And there are always gonna be rumors about cataclysmic events that whatever. And there are gonna be people who say they know things, that they know secret uh, information that is not evident to your plain vision. And he said, don't fall for it. 
in Ecclesiastes chapter eight, it says that no one comprehends what is happening in the world. And nobody knows the meaning of events in the world. And if somebody says they do know, they don't know. Um, in Acts chapter one, when they were talking about the end of things, and Jesus told his guys, it's not for you to know these things. And, and there's a place in Deuteronomy chapter 29 that says, the hidden things belong to the Lord. There is just a lot that we don't know and we don't have to know. But the things that are revealed are for us and for our kids. So like everything that we can know for sure, like what I just feel like, what I really, really in this crazy, confusing world we're in, what I know for sure is what is in like the scriptures. And it's not as much as people would like to know, but it's everything you need to know to live a full and a faithful and a fruitful life. So there's a place in, so the letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians, um, so there's kind of, there's two letters. So he was in prison at the time. And he wrote two letters that are kind of like sisters, uh, Ephesians and Colossians. They're kind of like twin sisters. They're, although they weren't identical twins because Colossians was sh the shorter sister, but, um, but so the letter that he wrote to the, to the Ephesians, it was a letter, it wasn't in, in initially specifically for the Ephesians, it was for like a whole bunch of communities of people who were beginning to be followers of Jesus who lived all over Turkey. And the earliest copies say that the, this is the letter from Paul the Apostle to thee, and then where it says Ephesians, in the earliest copies, that's blank. And Ephesians was the first place it stopped, but then it went all around to Smyrna and Sardis and Phil and and Thyatira and, and all the way down to Laodicea and Colossae. And it's something that it's, it, this was something that everybody needed to get into their mind and to their heart. And he said, what I'm going to give you is I'm going to give you a very simple view of the world that we live in and how to see it and a simple way to think about the time you have left in it. And it's all very simple. Number one, the first thing you need to know is that God has a plan. That in, in chapter one, verses nine, 10, and 11, he said, um, in all that's happening, no matter how confusing it gets, and he's the one that works out everything according to the counsel of his own will. But he's working out a plan. And ultimately, what this plan is to, to, is, to, is to unite everything and everyone in heaven and earth under one ruler, who is Jesus. Unfortunately, for some people, it will be an unwilling subjection. For a lot of people, it will be a willing and loving submission to him. 
And we hope that there's a lot and a lot and a lot of those who come to know him and to love him. But one day, every knee's gonna bow to Jesus. That's the plan. Here's the problem. The problem is, People are super sinful. I mean, like, every, it's like we've been like super rebellious against him from like the first week, you know? And so he said, we're, you know, everybody's a sinner, a super sinner, and we've all done a million simple things and we're sinful. And he said, in chapter two, he said, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you walked according to the course of this world and followed the devil and everything else. It's just a mess. But, and so that's the, that's the problem. And that's why there has to be like a reconciling How do you solve that? He said, okay, the answer is a person. A savior has come. In chapter one, like verse 17, he said, Jesus has come to reconcile everything, reconcile us through, um, through blood that he shed, through the blood that he shed on the day that he died for us, and then he rose from the dead, so that if you trust in him, you're completely forgiven. We have reconciliation through his blood, the forgiveness of all of our sins, so that when you believe in him, you're completely forgiven. All you have to do is say, I need this, and I believe that he, that he died for me, that this person died for me, and you're completely forgiven of everything you've ever done, do, or will do as long as you live. So what kind of, if that's the plan, that's the problem, he's the person, what kind of people are we supposed to be? So he said, if you really, really, really believe that, like you're completely forgiven of all the mess you've ever made in your life and completely forgiven of it, and you're forgiven of everything you ever will do, even though we mess up until the day we die, He said, you should be, in chapter five, you should be super thankful. Like that's about, like we should be always like speaking to each other in psalms and hymns and singing and making melody in our heart to the Lord, giving thanks to God for everything. Like if, if, I, if that's true of me, I should be like super thankful all the time because I'm forgiven because this person did that for me and like thankful in everything. Like last Saturday night, I mean, I don't think I've thrown up in 30 years. And it's like, how do you be thankful for that? It's like, well, not thankful for that, but even though I'm sitting there throwing up, I'm forgiven though, I'm forgiven. I should never, it just kind of like goes over everything. Like I just, no matter what happens to me, I'm forgiven and I should never get over it. And in chapter four, and you know what else he said, because of the kindness that's been shown to me, I should be like the, the, everybody who has accepted this gift and believed in Jesus and is a follower of Jesus should be the most humble and sweet and kind. And, you know, person, he said that we should be the kindest and we should be, it's a word that means tenderhearted. It just means like, just kind of, on your, it's a word that means like your ins, like your guts, like your guts should be just so soft and sweet. Like you, you should just be the sweetest person ever and kind to all the time because he's been so kind to you. And you know what else he said in chapter five we should be? 
is we should love everyone. I mean, so much love has been shown to me that we should just love everybody. We should love everybody who believes in Jesus, all my brothers and sisters in Christ, whether they're my Asian brothers and sisters or my Latino brothers and sisters or white brothers and sisters or African-American brothers and sisters or African brothers and sisters or, or, or Colombian brothers and sisters or native brothers and sisters, just everyone, all of them, just love, love them. And not only that, but we should just love everybody. People who don't know Jesus, just love them. We should be so thankful and so kind and love everyone. What if all of the followers of Jesus were just that? I read a quote the other day in a movie. I've never seen this movie. It's called Hannah and Her Sisters. But somebody said, if Jesus could come back and see the kind of stuff that's being done in his name, he would never stop throwing up. You know, but it's just like, but what if it wasn't that way? What if they were just thankful and sweet and kind and loved everybody? Because Paul said, that's the plan. Here's the problem. He's the person. We're this people. Because I have a prayer I need from you. I need you all to pray for me that I could get this message out because that's why the world continues to turn. And if you all are thankful and kind and loving, it's going to be a whole lot easier for me to talk about this. So, so simple. He said that's the simple way to view the world and to spend the time we have left in it. And he wrote that letter. And it started out with the Ephesians and it started to go around. And then he heard a thing, Paul heard a thing, that there were some people who had come in behind him and they started out in Colossae, which is kind of at the end of this big circle of communities. And Colossae was a community of followers of Jesus that he had not personally started. It had been started by a guy named Epaphras. And if, Paul, if, if it had been a, a community that he had started, I don't think they would have had the nerve to do it. But there were these people called Gnostics. And what they, it's hard to understand exactly what they believe, but what they believed is we have secret knowledge that other people don't have about things that are not evident to everyone, but we have inside information. And they would go around and said, okay, so Paul's telling you how simple, it's not that simple. It is a whole lot more complicated. You should see the world in a whole lot more complicated way than he's telling you. And the way you spend your time, it's a lot more complicated than what did he say? Did he say, be thankful, be nice? Is that what he said? It's a lot more complicated than that. Jesus, okay, Jesus as like an intermediator between you and God. There's a lot of them. He's a lot of these spiritual beings. He's only one of them. And you have to reconcile and reckon with all of them. And so this idea that you've already got it and you've already got it made and you, you, know, you already have everything, that thankfulness that you feel is premature. You don't have it yet. And the road, the, the ladder that you are going to have to climb to get through all of these reckonings with these spiritual beings before you get to God is going to be arduous. 
And so you need to learn how to treat yourself in a harsh way. So this idea of being all kind and nice, it's inappropriate for what you have ahead. And you're going to have to fight. You're going to have to think for yourself and take care of yourself and force your way through this. So love, it's counterproductive to the road that you have ahead. It's not as simple as he said. And when he found out that they had gone around and they were saying you know, all this secret knowledge that he had, he was so mad. I, he was so mad. These are my people. We, so we had a, we had, so we had this little church in, in Milan, Italy. Uh, it was about 40 people, but it was, a, it was people we had led to Jesus. We had raised them. We had fed them. We had wept with them. We had cried. We had just poured out our hearts to them. And we rented this little rec hall, like a rec hall of a building, and uh, every week. And that's where we would meet on Sundays, and we would sing, and we would just do what we do here. But they were our kids. They were like our spiritual kids, you know? And one day, two guys came in that I had never seen. And um, they stood up in the middle of the service, and they were sharing something. And I thought, I don't, this smells funny to me. And so I wound up talking to them afterwards. I said, oh, so where are y'all from? Well, we're from this. Well, where's that? Who, who are you a part of? We're a part of this. And then I knew where they were from. They were, it was basically a cult. And um, I had lost a friend to it in Texas. And what they do is they go into little churches and they try to steal people. And I, so I said, well, because they had a briefcase. I said, do you have your literature in that briefcase? And they said, yes, we do. I said, are you with them? They said, yeah, yes, how did you know? Do you have your literature? I said, they said, yes. I said, if you want to come here and learn how you can know Jesus as your savior, you're welcome. But this literature can never come in this building again. And they said, oh, who do you think you are? I said, well, it's just the way it is. So the next week, when I saw them coming, we were having church, and I saw them coming, and there was a, a, like a chain link fence. And I went out to the gate, and I stopped them. And I said, do you all have that literature? And they said, yes. And I said, you can't come in. And he said, who do you think you are? And so I turned to Acts chapter 20, where Paul said, shepherd the flock of God that has been put into your care because Ravenous wolves are going to come in and try to devour the flock. And so I said, so the, the people in there, they're, they're the sheep. Right here, I'm the shepherd. You're the wolf. And, he, <laughs> and they were like, and they, they never came back, though. So, but, but, you know, I just know that feeling. And so he was so, so anyway... So he wrote another letter. It's like Sister Act Two. It's, it's, like, it's like Ephesians, but it's got a little twist to it. And what Colossians is saying is, you know that thing that I told you about that simple way to view the world and the simple way to spend your time? What I'm telling you now is it's exactly as simple as I told you it was. And he said, there's a plan. Okay, let's go over this again. Let's go over this again. There's a plan. And the plan is God is reconciling everything in heaven and earth. You know how he's doing it? He says at the end of chapter one, Jesus is living inside of you. It's Christ in you. And that's how people are going to see 
that Jesus is alive because he's going to see it in you. That's the plan. The problem, it was the problem that I told you. He says in chapter one, we, we were enemies of God. We were alienated from God. In chapter two, he said, you know what we really were? We were sinners and all that. We were really criminals. We, were, we had committed crimes against the king of the universe. Okay, here's what the answer is. A person, Jesus. But Jesus is not one like invisible being but of many beings that will get you to God. Let me tell you what, who Jesus was. He says in chapter one and in chapter two, Jesus was almighty God in his fullness who became a human being. You have no arduous journey to take. He took the arduous journey when he came down here. And, you, and what he came to do was he almighty God. So almighty God came down here to, in a human body, to live a perfect and beautiful life. But what he came to do was to die one day in history to pay the indebtedness of the crimes that we committed when My personal view is that he did it on April the 3rd, 33 AD. I think that was the date. It's the only Friday that was right before a Sabbath day that would also be the Passover day. And I think that's when he did it. And one thing that happened to people when they were crucified was that the crimes that the person was being crucified for was written on, a, on like a, a little sign that was nailed above their head. But Jesus had lived a perfect life. He committed no crimes. The crimes that he, that were written above his head were my crimes and they were your crimes. And if somebody is going to pay somebody, is, is going to forgive someone's debt, they have to pay it themselves. And he was paying for the crimes that I committed and the crimes that you committed. And he paid for all of them. And he rose from the dead. And Paul said, and he triumphed over them. And he triumphed over all of those principalities and powers. And you and I are clean. And you and I are innocent. And you and I are pure in the eyes of God because Jesus is the answer to that problem. And he said, because of that, we should be in chapter, chapter three, always nothing but thankful, thankful in everything we say, thankful in everything we sing, in everything we do. We should be nothing, just like I said before, we should be nothing but thankful. And we should be as those chosen of God, holy and beloved in chapter three, we should be have a heart of kindness and meekness and compassion and sweetness and should be the sweetest people in all the world. And above everything else, we should love just like I told you. It's as simple as that. We are on earth.
not to fight anyone, but to love everyone. We don't have any secret knowledge. We have a savior and we don't want that and we don't want him to be a secret to anybody anymore. And Paul said, you know what? He said, just like he said in chapter 6 of Ephesians, he says in chapter 4 of Colossians, and I have a prayer. I need you to pray for me that I can get this message of Jesus out to everyone. He said in chapter 1, I want it going to the entire world. But if you're thankful and if you're kind and if you love, it's going to make it a whole lot easier on me. There are people in um, there are people in my life um, I mean not in my life, but people that have always been kind of my heroes, and I just have been thinking about them this week, and that's always been the thing is that they were so overwhelmed with thankfulness and love to Jesus that all they did, what if this was all we do? All they did was love people. Just They just love them all the time. Like one of my favorite people, I'm just reading a new book about him, but, um, and I told you all about him, I kind of obsess on him, but his name was Anthony Ashley, the seventh Earl of Shaftesbury. He was like Lord Grantham in Downton Abbey, you know, like in the 1870s and 80s in Victorian England. He was a member of parliament. He was a super privileged person. But he said, but he devoted every advantage. He said, I devote every advantage that God has given me to the cause of the hopeless and the helpless and those who need someone to help them. And he gave his life for the cause of children going down in coal mines at five years old, naked, working in coal mines 16 hours a day. And he's like, no, he went on a cable in a bucket. He'd go to these places 475 feet down a coal mine to see what it was like. He fought for people in what they called lunatic asylums who were living in this living in hell. And he said, it can't be this way. And he fought for the, like, for the chimney sweep boys who died of testicular cancer at 17. He just gave his life for everyone. So one person said of him, no man has ever done more to lessen the extent of human misery and contribute to the sum total of human happiness. He, he said there is no remedy for all of the mass of human misery but the return of our Lord Jesus Christ and why we don't pray for it every hour that we hear the clock strike, I will never know. But um, I was going to tell you like a million stories about him, but I'm going to get us out at 12 o'clock today. So I could, so have you all ever seen that show on PBS called, called The Midwife? Okay, so that was written, it, it, it's a book, it's three books about this woman who was a nurse in the 1950s in East London where Anthony Ashley worked a lot. And where it was just thousands and thousands and thousands of poor Cockney Londoners were packed in these houses and housing projects and tenement houses. 
and they didn't have hospitals. And so it was the, it's about a group of Anglican nuns who devoted their life to just love and to serving people and to being midwives to these women that had 10, 12 kids back then. And, and so a young woman whose name, her name was really Jen, Jen, Jenny Worth, and she was a nurse and um, other nurses. There's a woman, there's a nurse in there named Chummy who came from a privileged household. And in the show on TV, she and her husband went to Africa for a year to serve as missionaries. But they didn't go to Africa for, the, for a year. They, they went to Africa until they died because they lived for love. And, but Jenny, there's a woman who's kind of over all these Anglican nuns whose name was Sister Julianne. And in the TV show, when Jenny is meeting her for the first time, because she's going to work at a nurse with these nuns, these Anglican nuns. And Sister Julianne said to her, um, you have a nursing uniform. We have a, a nun's habit, but we both do the same work. That's not what she really said. What she said was, when she first interviewed her, she said, um, could I ask you, nurse, what is your religion? And she said, I, I think I'm Methodist. I don't really know. And she thought it was so weird that she asked her about her religion. And then Sister Julianne said very gently, Jesus Christ is our strength and our guidance here. Perhaps you will join us sometime at church on a Sunday. And then she told me about things I needed to know. I wasn't listening. I was just wondering about her, why I felt so comfortable and happy in her company. The impact of Sister Julianne upon me, and I discovered upon most people, was all out of proportion to her words or her appearance. She wasn't imposing or commanding. She wasn't arresting in any way. She wasn't even really clever. But something radiated from her. And I and pondered as I might, I could not understand it. It did not occur to me at, it, her, at the time that her radiance had a spiritual dimension. I am a Christian with every breath of my body and with every beat of my heart. And I trust and loved God because of her. Let us be them, Lord Jesus, while we still have time. Help us to see this world and the time we have left in the simplest of ways that we are loved and called to love. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, everywhere you turn, it seems there's a face turned down with the tears in their eyes. Is it a nightmare that the world streams and the pace of the crowd doesn't slow as it goes by? And what can I really do with just these two hands at my side? Is it that simple? Can I make a ripple in this overwhelming time? So today I'll take one step, I'll hand out one cup of water, and it ain't done yet. He's gonna pour it out, Father. I'll take one step, I'll hand out Ocean of need. 
the stakes are profound The blood ran through the band-aid So where do I start and do I have the heart? Is there hope? Can I cope with the pain? It's all so confusing Is there a solution that helps? Can I help anything? So today I'll take one 